Hi, and welcome to Follow's weekly message podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. We hope you enjoy the message. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Many of you would have heard that quote attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Well, it wasn't actually him. We don't know where the quote originated from. But some of you would hear that quote and think, yes, amen. Others would probably fold their arms and think, nah, I don't really like it. And I must admit, I'm a bit conflicted when I hear that quote. What I like about it is that it highlights that people should see the faith we profess in the way we live our lives. But what I don't like about it is it sets up this false dichotomy and it kind of pits proclamation versus practice. And that can be really unhelpful because it's equally important to both proclaim the good news of the gospel with our mouths, but also to live out the good news of the gospel with our lives. And when those two things go together, we actually represent Christ in the most effective way that we can. Today is the final week of our Ever Greater Gospel series. Last week we focused on sharing the complete gospel story in the right ways. And our text was 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. Now if we just quickly read over that text, there's something subtle that we may miss. And it's this, that it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The implication is that our lives should be so different and hopeful, even in the most difficult times, that people can't help but notice it. And as a result, they want to ask us why we would have such a hope. And so the practice of faith and the proclamation of hope should go hand in hand in our lives. Last week we focused on sharing the gospel, but today's message is about living the gospel. And so as Christians, how on earth are we to live out this ever greater gospel in everyday ways? Well, in order to answer that question in the context of God's big story, we need to go back to the very beginning to see what humanity was created for in the first place. And so let's rewind today all the way back to the Garden of Eden to the first human beings, Adam and Eve, and to one of the most foundational passages in all of Scripture. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. First book of the Bible, first chapter. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. And so from the very beginning, we see the clear purpose for humanity in three main areas. Number one, we were created for a relationship with God. Number two, we were created to be fruitful as his image bearers. And number three, we were created to multiply. This is what it is to be human. And this is what it is and what it looks like to be created in the image of God. And so Adam and Eve were created in God's image to reflect his character and his righteous rule within the very good creation God placed them in. And as they were fruitful in imaging God's character and multiplied, God's image, character and rule would then spread throughout the earth to reflect his glory. John Piper says that man was created from the beginning in God's image that he might image forth God's glory. 
Now, I want you to ponder those three things for a moment, because what we need to see is that each one of them was instantly lost at the fall. Think about it for a moment. When Adam and Eve disobeyed and sin entered creation, firstly, their fruitfulness was frustrated by the impacts of sin. Work became difficult with thorns and thistles, and they no longer reflected God's image in the way they were created to because the image of God was now marred and distorted by sin. Secondly, they were expelled from the garden. In other words, they were cast out of God's presence and they were no longer with him. Thirdly, instead of multiplying God's glory, they instead started to multiply sin. It was a diabolical situation, which is why we call it the fall, because they fell so far from what God had created them to be. This was the curse that was upon them because of their sin. But it's also what makes the gospel such great news. Because Jesus' death and resurrection is the central climax of Christianity. And in Christ, we find the remedy to those three things that were lost at the fall. In essence, Jesus reverses the curse. And so he removed the obstacle of sin by paying the penalty for us. And through faith in him, he brings us back into relationship with God the Father. He said that I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But he also sends us the Holy Spirit, who gives us the ability to produce spirit-empowered fruitfulness. And thirdly, he restores the image of God in us so that we can once again reflect his image everywhere we go and in everything we do as we multiply. Now, one of the most precious truths of Christianity is the incarnation of Christ. John tells us that the eternal word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And so what we see in Jesus' incarnation is that he was both fully God and fully man at the same time. You know, most other religions can only really guess what their God is like because God to them is some ethereal being, kind of distant and aloof, a God who's somewhere out there. And you've got to try and put the pieces of the puzzle together to to really try and work out what he's like. But as Christians, we never have to guess what our God is like because he is fully revealed to us in the person of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Colossians 1:15 says the sun is here's this word again, the image of the invisible God. And so if we want to know what our God is like, we look to Jesus. But what's also important for us is this, that if we want to understand what it is to be truly human, then Jesus is also the place to look because he is fully human and perfectly embodies the good news and reflects the image of God that we were created to reflect in the first place. Romans chapter 5 calls him the second Adam. We know through the first Adam that sin and death came into the world and he failed in his created role as divine image bearer. But Jesus, the second Adam, brings life and he models to us what it is to be truly human and to reveal God's character here on earth. And so as Christians, when we put our faith in Jesus, that divine image is restored, and we can also once again reveal God's image to the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, it says this, So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Jesus, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. 
And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it tells us that we are being transformed into what? Into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. And so Christ has redeemed for us the things that were lost at the fall. And if we want to know how to live out the gospel, well, the place to start is to understand what we've been created for, to be with God, to be fruitful and to multiply. And so let's unpack those three things this morning. Firstly, if we're going to be people who live out the ever greater gospel within God's great dream for creation, we need to be people who experience life with God. A number of years ago, Sky Jathani wrote a book that we've got here today, which I read, and it's called With. And the core idea of this book was that we are created to be with God, but often experience life and faith that's so much less than that. You'll see a diagram coming up on the screen. But some people decide to live in relation to God in a posture that could be called over God. Atheists would fall into this category. And, and John Lennon's song, Imagine, probably best captures the sentiment of this position. You know the song, you may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. It's a very catchy song. In fact, the Rolling Stone magazine ranked it as the third best song ever written. In this song, John Lennon describes what he imagines. He says, imagine life without religion. Imagine there's no hell or heaven. It's easy if you try. And the ultimate conclusion of his song is that we'd be better off without God at all. From his perspective, there'd be no wars, there'd be no violence. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You, you get the picture. I think John Lennon's got a much higher view of humanity than what the Bible presents. But that's really the posture of people who want to live their life over God. We don't need God. We're over him. We can just live as we want to live. But then there's others that live under God. And the idea of this life is that if we just obey all the rules and do all the right things, then, then maybe God will love us. It's what we see as law-based religion. Then there's others that they live from God. We call this the prosperity gospel. This is a belief that if we're in relationship with God, we should expect things from him. We should always be happy, healthy, and wealthy. And we can expect all these blessings to flow from God at all times. And so if I love Jesus and commit my life to him, then he'll give me a promotion or a Lamborghini or whatever my heart desires, because it's all about what I can get from God. And then for others, they live for God. And with full disclosure this morning, this is probably the one I'm most prone to, if any of these, to live my life for God, where we find our identity in the things we do and how we serve. And, and what really matters is, is how much we can achieve for Him. And so we tend to do more and more, because if we can do enough, then God might just be happy with us. It's a works-based expression of faith. Imagine we've all seen those ways of living expressed in our world. Maybe we've even lived that way. But the truth is they all sell us short of what we're created to be as human beings because our relationship with God was not designed to be over, under, from, or for. We are designed to enjoy life with God. And so Adam and Eve, before the fall, enjoyed this kind of life. They had unblemished relationship with God. We see in the Genesis account that they walked and talked in the garden with God. And when we fast forward to the new creation in Revelation, the other part of Scripture where we see God's ideal, 
the most magnificent part of this incredible vision is that the people of God from every tribe, nation, and tongue once again experience this unblemished relationship with God. Let's look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, that describes this. It says, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You know, there were so many tragic consequences of the fall that we explored earlier in this series. But the most tragic consequence of all was that Adam and Eve were cast out of the presence of God. They were no longer with him. And that is precisely what the devil wanted to achieve. To achieve, And it's still what he wants to achieve today. Now, we know that Jesus has made a way for us to once again be in relationship with God, the Father. Hebrews tells us that by faith, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. And this is just so good. And I just fear we take this for granted. But this privilege of being in relationship once again with our Creator is truly awesome. But the truth is, we still need to create space in our lives to be with God, to develop intimacy with Him. Now, this was a reality of Jesus and His humanity, and He modeled the importance of this for us to learn from. Jesus, we know, was God in human form, but even Jesus in His humanity needed to find space to be with God the Father. Now, I reckon Jesus could have been easily distracted by the things in his life. I mean, he had crowds following him everywhere with all sorts of issues and demands. He had people who loved him. He had people trying to kill him. And he certainly had a great mission to accomplish. And all of these things could have distracted him, but he managed to take time to shut himself off from those things in order to prioritize time with his father. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In Luke 6, 12, it says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. We can all remember back to the story of garden, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, just prior to Jesus' death, where he submits his will to the Father in prayer and says, Not my will be done, but yours. And so the question is this, I wonder how well you and I are following Jesus' example. Because if we're going to live out the gospel every day, it must start from intimate relationship with God, because everything else flows from that. And just because Jesus has made a way for this life-changing intimacy doesn't mean we'll automatically experience it in our everyday lives. You see, from the very start, the devil has been the master of deception but he's also the master of distraction. And if he can distract us long enough, then he can rob us of the opportunity to spend time with God. Do you know that it's possible to watch Netflix, check emails, respond to text messages, check the footy scores, talk with your wife, and play Pokemon Go all at once? Now, how do I know that's true? Well, it's just a rumor I heard. How I know it's true is not important. I just know it's true. Just trust me on that. But it might sound ridiculous, mightn't it? But it's just a reminder of how distracted we are. And it's not just the distraction of technology. It's the insane pace that we live at. And it's all the busyness of our schedules. And we have layer upon layer of distraction. And every layer takes us further and further away from what we were created for. And that is to be with God. 
Or we could just say, well, that's life. You know, we're all busy. Or we can take ownership of that and actually flip the script to make time with God a priority in our lives, to be in his word, to be in prayer, through meditation, through relationship, in worship. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, there are times when we're just simply not disciplined enough in that. And God, well, he just gets squeezed out of our schedules rather than being the first priority within them. You know, I wonder if we spend as much time seeking God as we do searching the internet, or if we spent more time praying than we do posting, or if we spend as much time unplugging as we are connected, I wonder how, what impact that would have on our faith. I think we'd start to experience more of what we're created for, to be with God. And so the first point today is to live out the gospel, we need to prioritize time with God. But secondly, in order to daily live out the good news, we need to be people who are fruitful. In our backyard, we have an apple tree. It's a few years old now. And last season, we had a bumper crop of apples. It was super fruitful. In fact, it was so fruitful that it was attractive. We just wanted to be out there. We wanted to eat the fruit. And it was really attractive to us in the backyard. And it was even more attractive to the birds. They, they flocked to this tree. They started eating all of our apples. And so we had to buy a net to keep the birds away. Well, this year, that same tree has been completely fruitless. Not one single apple. And as a result, the tree has lost its attractiveness because it's not producing what it was created to produce. It just now looks like every other tree in our backyard. Well, church, we know that we're not meant to look like everyone else in this world. We've been set apart by God in Christ to be holy. And what sets us apart from others in the world as we live out the gospel? Well, it's the fruit of our lives. And if we're being transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Christ, well, people, frankly, are going to see something radically different in us. And it should be noticeable. Because if we spend time with God, the natural byproduct will be godly fruit, where his image will be reflected through our lives in a way that it attracts and blesses others. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. And if we stay connected with him, we will bear fruit. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 8, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so what does a disciple look like? What's well, someone who bears much fruit? Once again, Jesus in his humanity models fruitfulness to us. As we read through the gospel, we see that fruit in everything he does. And so if we're going to live out the gospel, we have the perfect example to follow. I think it's true that we all have people that we admire, people that we respect and even look up to in life. And that's a good thing. It might be a theologian. It might be your favorite celebrity pastor. It might even be the leader of a nation or a political party. Perhaps it's your parents. Maybe it's someone who's done some great work with social justice, someone like Mother Teresa or, or a great evangelist like Billy Graham. And it's good to have people we look up to. But it's equally important to remember that no matter how good they may be, or what wonderful things they have achieved, at the end of the day, they have fallen sinful men and women just like us. And whether we like to admit it or not, they don't always get things right. And the danger is, is if we tie ourselves to any particular person, it won't be long before we lose the ability to be objective. And if we're not careful, we might end up living at the posture of that person more than we do the practice of Jesus. And so if we want to know how we're to truly live out the gospel, we have the perfect example in the person of Jesus who shows us in his humanity 
what it is to be truly human. And so as we read and reread the Gospels, it's really important because Jesus is not only modeling for us a good way to live, but he's also inviting us to follow him with our lives. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me daily. That's so important that I've had it tattooed on my wrist. So I never forget. Paul provides a helpful summary of the fruit Jesus modeled in Galatians 5, where he lists the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits that are to be evident in our lives in every situation, everywhere we go as we live out the gospel. And so to live out the gospel, we need to be fruitful. But finally, and really importantly, we actually need to be people who multiply be fruitful, and multiply. Now, the three points today in this sermon are not in that order because it flowed well for this particular message. They're in that order because that's how God has created us to function. We were created firstly to be with God, and when we're with God, that will help us to be fruitful, and when we're fruitful, we're then called to multiply. Now, if we're not being fruitful, then we've got nothing worth multiplying. And so as we look at Scripture, the first command ever given by God to the first humans was, be fruitful. The second command ever given was, and multiply. Now the word in the New Testament to describe this process, of course, is discipleship. And once again, we have the ultimate role model for that, and that's the person, once again, of Jesus. One researcher has evaluated the Gospels and found that three quarters of the Gospels emphasizes Jesus training the 12 disciples. And so of Jesus' recorded time in the Gospels, he spent 73% of the time with the 12, and that equates to 46 events with the few, and then 17 events with the masses. And I think that's really significant. In John chapter 3, verse 22, it says this, it says, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them. Sounds like a really simple sentence. But the English words spend time are translated in the original Greek as diatribo. Dia means against and tribo means rub. So it literally means to rub against. And so what Jesus did is he spent time with people and as he did, he rubbed off on them. It was life on life relationship, intentional, regular And it's part of what we were created to do. So I wonder this morning, who are you rubbing off on? Remember, we'll rub off on others whether we're fruitful or not. And so God says, be fruitful and rub off on others. Now you might think this morning, well, that's the job of elders. That's the job of ministry directors and the pastoral team. It's it's really their job. But I want to say something really clearly this morning. If you forget everything else, I want you to remember this. Multiplication is not the job of professionals. It's the responsibility of disciples. Let me say that again. Multiplication is not the job of professionals. It's the responsibility of disciples. And so it's my responsibility, but it's just as much yours. And we will never effectively live out the gospel until we take discipleship seriously. 
And so this morning, I'm going to give you some homework. We're in the midst of a lockdown. We're all used to homeschooling. We've got the hang of that now. And so here's some homework you can do as a whole family this week. And so grab out a pen and paper. We're going to write these down. And it's homework under each of these three points. The first point is with God. We need to live our lives with God. Now, COVID has provided us a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reevaluate our lives, to pause, to think afresh, and to consider our faith with a new lens. And even though it's been a really tough time for many people, particularly with the lockdown, it's also provided space for new rhythms to emerge in our lives. And I'm sure that many of those have been helpful. Now, we're getting closer, believe it or not, to restrictions lifting, and the temptation that we're all going to face is to simply rush back to the insane busyness of pre-COVID normal. But I want to encourage you for homework, to be more intentional than that, to look at your schedule, to ask yourself these questions, what needs to start, what needs to stop, and what needs to pause in order to prioritize time with God? And as you do that, make God the big rock you work your schedule around rather than the little pebble that you try and squeeze in at the end. And so homework number one, uh, go away and think about what needs to start, stop or pause. The second bit of homework is under the heading, be fruitful. And for this one, I want you to go to Galatians chapter five and write down each of the fruits of the spirit. And then take some time to pray over that list, list and ask God to highlight areas for growth. And so you might want to tick the ones you think you're going okay in and then highlight the ones you need the Spirit's help with and then pray over it each day. And you might want to share that with other people in your house. The third bit of homework, because we all love homework, is under the heading of multiply. And in this one, I want you to prayerfully consider who you could rub off on through intentional discipleship and then make a plan on how that could start to happen more regularly. If you're an older person, you might think about a younger person you could spend some time with. If you're a parent, it might be your kids. If you're an older married couple with a younger married couple, you might want to mentor them. If you're an older single person, it might be with a younger single person, or it might be a married couple discipling a young single, or it might be a young adult discipling a youth person. It doesn't matter what it is, but each of us has to be intentional to multiply who we are in other people, to see the image of God expand, to go and make disciples of all nations. This is the great command we have in the New Testament because multiplication is not the job of professionals. It's the responsibility of disciples. And so I really pray that you found this series encouraging as we've looked at the ever greater gospel in creation and the fall in redemption and restoration. And as we've also looked at how we share the gospel and how we live the gospel. And now it's time to stop talking about it and to actually do it. And so as we go and do it, I pray that um, we would be fruitful, that we would multiply, and that we would be people that spend time with God. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you so much for the incredible privilege of being in relationship with you. Lord, we don't deserve that. We've all turned our backs and rejected you and walked away and have done things our own way, and yet through your incredible, amazing grace, you've sent your son Jesus to die in our place, to take our sin, to remove that obstacle so that we can once again come back into this incredible relationship that we were created for. Lord, as we do that, I pray that you would help each of us to to press into you, to to grow to know you in, in many incredible ways. But as we do that, Lord, I pray that we would be fruitful, 
so that we can live out the gospel, so that people would see something different in us, that your image would be multiplied and would spread right throughout the earth. And Lord, as we do that, Lord, I pray overall that we would give you glory in all that we do. We thank you for this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.